Are you a nonprofit professional who's feeling overwhelmed and burnt out? Well, welcome to the Lead with Heart podcast. I am your host, Haley Cooper. On this podcast, we will share stories of leadership, courage, and empathy that'll help you learn to take care of yourself, your staff, organization, and community. You will hear from nonprofit leaders who have been in your shoes and have learned best practices to raise more revenue and make a greater impact. Let's thrive together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Lead with Heart podcast. This is your host, Haley Cooper. And today I have someone on the podcast who I'm so excited about. I've been following her on LinkedIn for a while. And I think I say this before every podcast, but I love LinkedIn and just being able to connect with people and just wealth of information that you can find and just being able to connect, like I said, with people who are truly genuine in, in this leadership space. And so today I have Janet Ioli and she shows up on LinkedIn how she is in person, which I love. So Janet Ioli has been helping people and organizations make changes and maximize their impact for over 25 years. As a former leader inside Fortune 200 companies such as Cigna, Janet, Lockheed, Martin and Northrop Grumman. She understands firsthand the complexities and realities leaders face leading their organizations. Grounded in real experience working with thousands of leaders in different industries and countries and having provided over 10,000 hours of coaching, Janet has earned a reputation as an extraordinarily talented, highly results-oriented, and sought-after leadership coach, change strategist, speaker, and organizational advisor. Janet is currently the president of Power Presence Academy, a company focused on helping leaders create powerful leadership presence and operate with less ego and more soul. And I love this is your tagline. (laughs) Janet's wealth of practical experience is backed by continuous and robust educational substance and focus. In addition to thousands of hours of self-study in psychology, leadership, change, neuroscience, and human development, She has master's degrees in both public administration and business, an undergraduate degree in business, and has extensively studied human development and adult learning at the doctoral academic level. Janet also holds a certification from the National Board of Medical Examiners as a health and wellness professional. Janet is certified as a professional certified coach by the International Coach Federation and has an advanced executive coaching certificate from the Smith School of Business and a certificate in positive psychology and well-being coaching. She's the author of three books, including two books for women leaders focused on self-empowerment and presence as a recognized thought leader on leadership, self-development, and change. Janet is a contributor to Forbes and to Ariana Huffington's Thrive Global. Janet partners with major universities, As an industry expert in women's leadership, she's on faculty of American University's Key Executive Leadership Program for Government Leaders and is a designer and speaker for the University of California at Irvine's Women in Leadership Certificate Program. Well, welcome, Janet. Thank you so much for being here. Wow. Welcome. And thank you for that glowing bio. Thank you very much, Haley. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I would just love to know a little bit more like about what led you to do this work. Like what there's so many things that we could be led down. Like what inspired you to choose this path of helping other leaders become better leaders for their organizations? I would just love to know a little bit more about your background. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for asking because I think so many of us 
I think we fall into this type of work. I don't think when I was growing up, there was a plan. It's like, oh, I'm going to be an executive coach. I don't think I even knew what that was or what leadership development was. I grew up in Athens, Greece. So I grew up in a bilingual household. My mom was Greek. My dad is American and went to an international school. And it's interesting because I look back, Haley, you asked me, where did I get this? I don't know what I would call it, a calling, I guess, to do this type of work. But when I was a kid, I was always curious about people. And so I would read all these biographies, like in second grade, and and biographies about people. And how did they do what they do? And how do they think? And then I would start reading psychology, like in third grade. I know that I know it's weird, but I was a weird kid. I wasn't into sports. I was into reading all the time. And I always would read about people. And then it's funny, as I got into high school, I started really getting into doing speeches and I love to write and speak. And everybody else was playing sports and I was sitting there writing and speaking in a speech contest, et cetera. And here's why I tell you the story, because the speeches I would write would be about how to be a better person. And it's weird. Like, how did I think about that when I was 17 or 16 years old? But those were the speeches. And I would win like competitions first place and how to be a better person and why society holds us back. And I remember this one speech. It was about being yourself. And this is like 17 years old. I wrote this speech about being yourself. So I've always had that interest in people. And of course, you know, I come from a practical family and my parents and my dad would always be pushing me towards business, right? You know, you need to do something practical. What, would you, what are you going to do with people? So I actually, my degrees are in business and I got degrees in business and all of that. But what I found when I got into the business world is I started navigating toward the people side. And so it was a great combination of having the business degrees, right? Because I understood that language but then also that psychology, human factor piece. And those two things combined. And I think I just fell into the leadership development, organizational development, the type of work. So it's actually a really interesting story of taking a practical piece and then also the passion and they just combined. It's interesting. Oh, that's amazing. I love that story so much that you had this intuition of being focused on humans since you were a little kid and now you've cultivated it into a business. Right. That's amazing. So can you talk a little bit about what that looks like today? Like taking that practical business standpoint and also like focusing on human centered leadership, because I feel like a lot of times, like I've done a multitude of leadership training and what I know now was never included in those leadership. It was very business focused, outcome focused, So what does that look like practically today, like in a work environment, organizational environment? Yeah. So, so, so let me back up just a little bit more about that background, because I think it applies to your question. So because of the business background, I started working in corporate or uh, corporations, right? So I, as you mentioned in the bio, I worked for Cigna companies. I worked for Gannett, which is USA Today, the newspaper, Gannett owned Cigna, owned USA Today. And I worked for two major aerospace and defense companies, Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman. And in those roles, I was heading up leadership development type things. So I was training leaders, but I was also an executive in the company. So at the director level and 
as an executive in the companies, I started to see all the things that leaders were facing inside organizations. And I was also doing leadership development. And what I was noticing is that I would, I'm just making up a percentage here, but probably 80% of what people were dealing with was not how to do their work. It was how to deal with other people (laughs) and how do they navigate? Oh my gosh, this person has this issue or that problem. There were a lot of human resources type issues that they were dealing with, or how do I communicate better? And so what I found is that in organizations, we focus a lot, like you said, on the business sides and how good we are at whatever it is we're doing, but we're sorely lacking. And being an executive myself in an organization, what I saw is that we're sorely lacking in how to deal with all the people things that come up and also how to bring out the best in others. Because as people move to higher level leadership positions, it's not about how good you are at what you're doing. That's great. That's table stakes. That's why you're there. What it's about is how can you bring out the best in other people and how can you help them be the best at what they're doing? Because you can't do everything. And I'll say one more thing about this, Haley. And the work that I do one-on-one with executives and executive coaching, the people I work with, they're like at the top of their game. They are really good at what they do. I'm not there to teach them how to run their business because they already know how to do that. What they always need help with, though, is scaling. They realize when you get to a point and you have 25, 50, 100, 1,000, 5,000 people working for you in your organization, you can't do it by yourself. And so I think that's where people become humbled and say, wow, this isn't about me anymore. It never really was about me, but it, this isn't about me anymore. It's about the other people that are working for me. I need other people. And so I think that's the biggest revelation I think people have as they move up the ladder in organizations. Yes, I love that. And thank you for giving a little bit more context. And I want, we'll get to the scaling part, but you said something really important about helping your employees or people within your organization grow. And from what I found, there's a lot of fear around that of like helping people grow because, you know, they might move into your position and a lot, at least in nonprofits for fundraisers or other positions, a lot of people leave because there isn't that growth trajectory. I know in my own experience, I've left organizations because I haven't seen that value added to me that there is opportunity for me to grow. And I think we talk, we probably both know this, that it takes a level of self-awareness as a leader to want to be able to help people grow. And then it's also an organizational thing where there's the capacity to help people grow. So can you talk a little bit more about that in like context of like, how could we take a step back? And I mean, I've had other people on this podcast who have done this really well. And they're like, sometimes these people leave and go to another organization, but at least I know that I'm sending them off well, you know? And it takes that level of self-awareness of, Hey, like, I want to invest in this person, but also within the organizational context, you have to have that space as well. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, and you bring up a really complex topic, right? Because then you can go into organizational structures and how organizations are really sometimes don't even, are not set up for growth. They're Mm -hmm. set up for reacting to the environment, right? Some organizations. So that's a whole other can of worms. But to answer your question on 
you know, feeling threatened or not focused on other people's growth. It's more the task focus, right? One of the things that people who are in the executive coaching field do is we often go out and get feedback for people, right? So you go and get feedback from a leader's direct reports, their peers, and their boss. And what I've noticed in so many people that I've worked with, leaders over the years, the theme of the feedback that they get is that exactly what you just said, is that, hey, we want you to be more focused on our growth. We want you to be more focused on helping us develop, but you're so busy. And we understand that you're so busy, but we really want you to be focused on our growth. And the feeling threatened thing, I think that comes from a place of, if you're operating from a reactive place, and what I call reactive is, reactive is we all have the need to survive, right? And often in organizations, people will operate in one of three ways. They please in order to survive, right? So as much as if I can please you, then I'll survive, right? You'll like me and I'll be, I'll feel safe. They protect themselves. They guard themselves against other people. It's like, okay, if I protect my team, if I protect things, then I'll survive. And then the other one is control. So I'll just grab onto everything and I control everything and I'll survive. But they're so focused on survival that it's very difficult when you're focused in survival mode. That's a very ego-based mode because it's all about you. It's very hard to focus on other people. So what I tell people is if you really want to be a better leader and do these sorts of things, you've got to get out of survival mode. And people will say, well, it's a risk. If I help Haley, then wow, then she may take my job. That's great. That would be fantastic if she took your job because your role as a leader is to work yourself out of a job. I also hear people say, well, if I have Haley give a presentation, right? If I put her in front of people, then what do they need me for? And so if you're so focused on your own survival, you will never be a good leader. And actually those, in my opinion, when you're more focused on your survival, that is when you're not, what's the word? You probably won't survive <laughs> because you're not able, like you said earlier, you're not able to scale. You're not able to to do all the things that you, you want to do as a leader. I don't know if that makes any sense to you or if I asked, answered your question. Yes, that makes perfect sense to me. And I know that you work with executive coaches and my whole career has been in nonprofits. So that has been a theme of survival, of reactivity, of yeah. not being able to have foresight or thinking ahead. And it comes to a head at some point where they're like, oh, in order to grow, like you said, like we need to take a pause. There is something that is wrong within the context of the situation where we can't survive anymore. We can't just keep our head above water. We have to build the plans and the strategies in place. And so my question to you is, like, how does someone go from survival mode? Because there's so many things from our past and that build up to us being naturally going to that, right? Like, it's not something that's going to happen overnight where we're like, oh, you told me to go be more proactive and self-aware and all that stuff. Like, there's a lot of healing and mindset shifts in between. And so how does like someone make a subtle shift towards moving out of that survival mode? Yeah. That, wow, that is such a 
big question, right? It's not a simple question. That's a really big question because there's so much there. And I think I always say that leadership starts with self-leadership and it starts with human development, right? It's your own, because we're always worried about developing as a leader. But what you're talking about, Haley, is developing as a human and we're human first. And so I think that's one of the things I think that feedback offers people first is to be able to look in the mirror. And people t- always tell me, what's the mark of someone who's a great leader? I say, always say this, that they are able to look in the mirror first. Because if you can't look in the mirror and say, okay, I am not perfect. I am flawed. <laughs> and there are so many things that I need to work on myself before I can serve others. And again, that you notice I use the word serve because I believe leadership is service, then you're really not able to be a full human. And and these things intersect in your life, as you said. All of the things that you're playing out as a leader, you're also probably playing out in your life. They're not separate. Sometimes people will say to me, is this at work or is this at home? And I'll say, well, they're the same. Because work and home, you're the same person. So really taking a look in the mirror and saying, all right, who am I? People can't really even answer that question. What do I stand for? What's important? And what type of leader do I want to be? Rather than being defined by your reactive tendency. So how do I want to be? So I always tell people to go into a place of creation and really define who they want to be. And then actually, you know, practically, Haley, is make a list. Like, how do you want to be described? Because you can, you talked about the past. There's so much in our past that we have to heal, right? But if you want to get practical about it, how do you move forward? And so moving forward is, who do I want to be? I'm not defined by that. And so writing out a list, I, I have people write out a list. Okay, what are the attributes? So, you know, I want to be seen as someone who's compassionate. I want to be seen as someone who is confident. I want to be seen as someone who's strategic, who's what, whatever it is that list is. And then how would I need to behave if I was those things, right? And so you're taking your strengths and we get into the comment of, well, is that authentic? right? Is that authentic if you're writing that out? Well, I would argue, and I argue this all the time, I don't think anybody really even knows what their authentic self is because there's so many layers of of what you said, of culture, of people defining us. So in order to truly be authentic, you've got to self-author who you want to be mm-hmm. versus having it been given to you in a reactive mode. So I think that's where it starts is really taking some time to look in the mirror, self-reflect. What are the things that I want to let go of and who do I want to become and defining that and then making choices every single moment to be that person. Because I think it's all in the moment of choice. You know, Viktor Frankl who is, you know, I I don't know if you've read the book or if you've seen the book, Man's Search for Meaning. He was a psychiatrist and a neurologist who had been in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. And he wrote this book about just the experience, but also how people survived in that terrible condition. 
And he said, really, that there's a quote in there. It says, in between stimulus, what happens to us and how we respond, there's a space. And in that space is where freedom lies. In other words, you have the ability to choose your response, not just what was con- you were conditioned. And to me, that's where the work is. It's in that choice, that little place, that space. Hey there, podcast family. If you're like me and deeply committed to improving your leadership skills and fostering better connections with your team, I've got something truly amazing to share with you. I'm proud to introduce the EMC Masterclass, something I talk about often as a certified trainer. It's an incredible program developed by the renowned Dr. Lola Gershfield, an organizational psychologist and corporate emotional connection expert. You might remember her from a podcast episode where she shared invaluable insights into the world of emotional connection. Dr. Gershfield's EMC Leaders courses are designed for anyone working with people, whether you're a manager, supervisor, team leader, educator, coach, mentor, or a team member. This program is truly for everyone looking to enhance their communication and collaboration skills to raise more revenue for their mission. Now, let me tell you why the EMC Masterclass is a game changer. Dr. Gershfeld's groundbreaking emotional connection process has been integrated into top universities' curriculum and recognized by international organizations like ICF, HRCI, and SHRM. Humans are wired to seek emotional safety, and when we feel safe, we're more likely to take risks, share innovative ideas, and collaborate effectively. The EMC process is the catalyst for creating that emotional safety within your team. The virtual EMC Masterclass consists of eight modules with four hours of expertly recorded material, 13 quizzes to reinforce your learning, and a workbook filled with activities for offline practice and something I still refer to daily. Ready to become an emotional connection master? Dr. Gershfeld is offering an exclusive detail for our podcast listeners. Use the code LEADWITHHEART to enjoy a generous 10% discount on the EMC Masterclass. Head over to emcleaders.com and enroll in the EMC Masterclass today. Wow, that's so powerful. I love that idea of you getting to choose and then defining who you are and then getting to choose every day how you show up as that person. That's so powerful and gives you so much of that. Like, yes, I can do this because you get to choose that. So you mentioned a lot of looking in the mirror, defining who you want to be, how you want to show up in the workplace at home, because we know, like you said, they blend together. How do you then use that in the context of a relationship of managing someone or leading an organization? Because yeah, you get to choose who you want to be, but you can't obviously control how other people get to show up in the organization. And so how do you, it's those four components of emotional intelligence, right? Like self-awareness, self-management, relationship management. And I forget the fourth one, but like, how do those all blend together? Once you get to choose who you want to be, How do you manage that in the context of a relationship with another person? Yeah. Well, here's the thing that I would say off the bat on that, because that is so complex, right, as well. A lot of the questions you're asking, Haley, are so complex. So I try to break them down a little bit, just from my point of view. 
But I think the big thing is realizing you can't control other people. You can control your choices. You can't control other people's choices, but you can show up for other people in a compassionate, curious way. And I think what one of the things that I see with a lot of leaders and their teams, or even with our own, think about our own relationships, right? Is that we're so wrapped up in what we're thinking about the other person, we're not really seeing the other person. And we've already preconceived a judgment about them that we're not getting curious to really understand where they're coming from or what is really going on with them. And I think developing that skill, suspending judgment and just being curious and asking questions sounds really simple, but it is empowering when you start to see the good in people versus immediately moving towards the negative. And I'm not saying I'm a realist. Okay. So I'm not saying everything is kumbaya and everybody is wonderful and all of those things. I know I'm realistic in organizations. I know issues that we have, performance issues, all of those things. All I'm saying is that starting by looking at the person's strengths, trying to uncover what those strengths are. When you come from a place of seeing somebody in a positive light, I think people rise up to what you believe about them. (laughs) I think people also see when you've written them off in organizations as well. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been written off in an organization. Maybe you haven't, but people know when you're looking at the negative or when they're on the dark list or whatever it is. So really pausing and seeing the person for their strengths and acknowledging those strengths, I think, first before anything else. Yes, I love that. And thank you so much for breaking. I know these questions can go in multiple different directions, but you've guided them so well. So recently I did Strength Finders within a board dynamic. We had a coach come in and each of our board members are able the organization offers professional development and experiential learning opportunities. So we wanted to be able to offer this for free. I mean, our organization paid for it, but our board members didn't have to, so that we could all understand within the context, they could take it back to their organizations, but within the context of us all working together, we knew what each other's strengths were. So obviously that is one tool that you can use. Are there other tools that you use to help teams or individuals find out what their strengths are? Yeah. So I love StrengthsFinder. I think that's great. I think, you know, I'm a fan of tools. I use tools, right? So, I mean, I use the Myers-Briggs. I've used the DISC before. There's a another one called Fire OB. That's an older tool, but it talks about your interpersonal needs. I mean, various tools. And then of course, all the 360s. But I also think we all love those there's something valuable from them. But I also think there's no replacement for some self-reflection on the tools, because I think what can happen with the tools is that you become, you're looking for somebody to answer that for you versus you really sitting down and thinking, because we're so, I believe we're so multidimensional and often you can look at those lists of strengths. And I love the strengths finder, by the way, but then there can be 10 other strengths that you're developing. So so you're never confined to a label. I believe you were so expansive that what we really need to do is sit down and think about our own strengths, get feedback, 
right? Get feedback from others. What do you see as me being really good at? Where do you get feedback from? What do you want to be good at? And really defining that for yourself rather than relying so much on tools to tell you what you are good at. Because those are self-assessment tools, right? Those tools, you're filling out a questionnaire. But I think it's not a replacement for self-reflection. And I always, what I do is I give people questions for self-reflection more than I do assessment tools. Although I use them and I love them. I also don't want it to replace self-reflection. Yes, I love that. I think, yeah, like you said, self-reflection is so important. And you've talked a lot about feedback within like the context of other people. And I just finished reading the book Originals by Adam Grant. Oh, yeah. It was talking about, I'm sure you've probably read it about, you know, the most successful organizations had that continual feedback loop. They were able to solicit feedback from their people and be able to present it in a way that helped them move forward. And so obviously there's a lot, it's a 200 page book. There's a lot about feedback, but I would love to know, like, you know, generally in terms of evaluating strengths within a team, generally it's once a year annual review, right? It's not an ongoing thing where you're reviewing your strengths. How are you meeting those? Like how can the leader come in and help you support you to be able to live out your strengths? So what does that ongoing feedback loop look like using this idea of, you know, strength-based leadership? <laughs> I don't know, strength-based leadership or keeping those strengths in mind. Yeah, I see. And I'm with you. I think feedback is a constant thing. It's telling someone immediately, right away, something that they did well, right? Telling someone, this is what you did well. And for next time, here's something else that you can do differently, right? It's this constant learning environment. I consider it learning more than anything else. Also, I always tell leaders to go ask for feedback and do like a temperature check with your team of what should I continue doing? What should I start doing? And what should I stop doing? It's just really simple, three questions, but continuously doing that. And I think at first people get a little bit intimidated because sometimes if you're the boss, they won't want to tell you that. But if you create a climate of, hey, we're all learning and I'm a learner too, asking those questions, you'd be surprised. I mean, I see people, they're floored at the things that people tell them you should stop doing that they didn't even realize that they were doing. Like, for example, I'll give you an example. One guy I was working with, this executive in an organization, he would walk down the hall, and this is in person, right? So he's, he would walk down the hall, and he was always holding his phone, and he's always really busy. And people would think that, that were around there. He wouldn't stop and say hello to them because he's busy, right? So people had gotten this impression that he was aloof, and he's not aloof, right? And at one point, they said to him, well, one of the things you should probably stop doing is not saying hello to people and not walking down the hall with your phone. And he was floored. He's like, wow, I didn't even realize I was doing that. And so immediately, because they were getting the impression that he was aloof and that he wasn't, you know, he didn't care about them. He didn't care about people. But it was just like such a little tiny, silly thing that he didn't even realize he was doing. It was unconscious. And so he learned, wow, you know, what an impact my position the behavior in my position has on how people are perceiving me. Just little things like that. I think just asking for feedback and creating a learning environment like that is big. 
Haley. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you see it as well. Yes, yes. I think that is so important. And I would love to know, you know, you've talked a lot about, obviously you do executive coaching, like, and that can help solicit outside feedback, right? Because it's not someone that's like in the organization, it's a third party. And I've had my own executive coaches and I've seen how valuable that is to provide that outside perspective in a non-judgmental way, because sometimes it can maybe come off as judgmental from someone within the organization, right? It's why people hire third parties to come in. And so how does executive coaching, like what's the role and why is it important for executive coaching to come in and help develop this self-awareness and this self-leadership so that you can lead others well? Yeah, so here's how I look at executive coaching. And I think it's, first of all, what is an executive coach? We have these words of yeah. coach. Every, everything's a coach, right? There's money coach, there's business coach. What is an executive coach? Really, I think it's a one-on-one leadership development train. I mean, opportunity, right? So what happens is somebody comes in from the outside or and some organizations have them internal as well, as you mentioned, and actually works with an executive where they are. Think about it when you go to a training class. When you go to a training class, you're in a group of people. There's maybe 20, 50 people. And you're learning some leadership concepts and somebody is imparting it. You may do some activities, et cetera. But it's not really individualized. So Haley, depending on where you are in your career, this everybody else is going to be getting the exact same attention, right? What executive coaching does is it says, okay, I'm going to work with Haley. Where is Haley in her journey, right? And so let's get Haley some feedback about her leadership. So usually they... Executive coaching almost always starts with some sort of feedback, either through an assessment or through gathering interviews about what's the perception of Haley as a leader. Also some self-reflection feedback, maybe some assessments, right, about your strengths, et cetera. And then the executive coach takes that all together and says, okay, Haley, here's where you are right now in your leadership journey. What's most important for you, right? Here's the feedback that you're getting from all these folks what is it that you want to get better at who do you want to be as a leader and it helps you define that at that moment in time because people are in different places and then actually helps you create an and you know this right as some sort of an action plan you know i'm real practical because i think defining some goals about okay what is it that you want to who do you want to be as a leader going forward from this point on And looking at your unique strengths versus in a group and helping you achieve that, that's what an executive coach does. And I think asking you the hard questions, making space for self-reflection, because think about it, you're so busy. This is great. You want to work on these things, but how often do you get swept away on all these other things that you're doing during the day? So this person is your accountability partner, your sounding board. And also the person who's highly trained to help you get to where you want to get to. And so I think that's the benefit of executive coaching. It's individualized. It's not cookie cutter and it's customized to you. Yes, I love that. I love that. Like you said, it's customized and it really focuses on what you, who you want to be. And I love creating, I'm outcome driven. So I have to remind myself of the human centeredness part, but like the action plan where I know that I have tangible things that I can work on to become this person in a, I mean, I know that you said, and this is probably another 
big question, but like, let's say someone developed their, identified their strengths, did some of those self-awareness, like how do then they develop, if they're working with you, like what are some of the habits or actions that people develop to then become that person or that leader? I don't know if that question makes sense, but like for me, I've done my own self-reflection and I defined who I want to show up as. So every day I choose these different action steps or these different things so that I know I'm grounded in who I want to be and how I want to show up. I know it's individual to me, but are there some practical steps of like, let's say someone did that self-awareness, they defined who they want to be, like, what's that next step? How do they work with a coach or within themselves to really choose or make those action steps to be that person. So here's the thing, Haley, and this is, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I don't think we ever get there. I don't know of a perfect human. I don't know of a perfect leader. I don't know of perfection. What I know is that it's a process and that I think we're all works in progress. I really do. And so when somebody says, okay, I did this action plan and I got there, I don't think we ever get there. We're continuously improving. And I think that's part of the journey. That's the beauty of the journey. It's because you can say, okay, I want to pause and choose my response. How many times do we say that? Right. So that's part of, that's the big part of coaching, right? Pause and choose. The response matches the intent, whatever it is that you want and who you want to be. You want to pause and choose the response that matches that. Right. Well, how many times do we flub that up? I know I do. (laughs) And I know everybody that I work with does, right? Because we're imperfect. And so let's say you you're communicating with your spouse, right? And you say, okay, I want to show up this way and I want to be this way and I want to pause and choose. And something happens and it triggers you. You blow up and you're totally different than the person you want to be, but you have another opportunity the next moment, the next hour, the next day to start all over again. So I'm not so sure it's ever finished. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think sometimes we're looking for the steps we're looking for. Okay. I've done this. Now, how do I get here? And how do I get there? I don't think it's that linear. I really think it's like, it's a continuous waking up and doing it again and waking it up and doing it again and waking up and doing it again until a lot of these things become more habitual than the other habit was. And to me, that's the beauty of this work is that you, then you start to see progress. Okay. When I went out of my five times, I've choose this behavior that I want to choose this behavior. Three of them, I'm choosing it instead of the old behavior. To me, that's progress. And it's just a continual thing. So I don't, I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for. But that's really, to me, that's the answer. I don't think it's a a linear thing. I really think it's just, it depends on you and it depends on where you are in that journey. So if you've worked on something, I don't think you've completely mastered it. I think it doesn't end. (laughs) So that's what I would say on that. Yes, that is the answer I was looking for. That was perfect because now you know how my brain works. (laughs) I want to see tangible results. Right. But I think like you said, it's so important that you recognize like, you know, three out of the five times you've showed up how you wanted to be. And that's progress that is working towards something. It's not always like a tangible thing that you can see. It's those I'm perceiving it as like those internal shifts of right. you know, you're showing up 
And- exactly. Exactly. And I think the, the big thing about that, I mean, even with building the, what I consider it as building muscles. Mm-hmm. So when you build muscle, right, think about when you're working out. If you stop doing it, it atrophies. Mm-hmm. So you always have to work out. It's just in order to keep those muscles built. You've got to work. You've got to work at it. Same thing with eating right. Right. I mean, because these, I think these things are also related. Your health is dependent on your choices, but those aren't choices. Like you don't, you go on a diet. Okay. And now I got to my weight. I'm done. No, that's not how it works. It's a series of choices that continuously happen day after day that give you a level of fitness. Well, it's the same thing in building the muscle of leadership and also of human effectiveness, right? It's the same thing. It's using those muscles and you never get there. Mm-hmm. Bodybuilders, they stop doing the weights. It goes away, right? Same thing. Yeah. Yes, I love that idea. And thank you so much for that comparison. It helps put it into perspective. So I want to wrap up. And before I ask where people can find you and a little bit more about what you offer, like why is this approach to lead and again this is a big question i'm just asking big questions today. <laughs> like why we've had a rather tumultuous last three years leader approach to leadership has changed like why is it important that people stop pause and self-reflect to be able to navigate their organizations like why is it so important today wow that is a big <laughs> question that is a big question well i always go back to this one that I, I'm, you know, you, you look at the world today and you look at the, the things that are happening and this has nothing. I mean, it, I think it does have to do with leadership, but it, it, ha- it has nothing to do with the topic that you're talking about today. I think it is a broader topic of humanity. Yeah. And look at the way we're treating each other mm. and look at what's happening. The reactiveness that you have, but you have people you know, getting out of a, their car and screaming at each other. You have just so much reactivity and so much negativity in the world today. And I don't know what that's a product of, right? So that's a whole other podcast <laughs> and a whole other conversation that we could talk about. But I think there's a piece of we're losing something. I don't know if it's we're losing our character mm. or what it is we're losing, but we're losing something about that common thread of humanity, that realizing that we're all connected. And I think in that, that's why going back to Viktor Frankl, when he was talking about being in a concentration camp, and he said, you know, the people that survived in the concentrate, these horrific things, were realizing that where their freedom lied was in their response. And I think that's what we've lost sight of, is the is that we have that power to choose the response. Mm. And I don't think we're deliberate enough about that anymore. It's just react, emotional reaction, emotional reaction. And is that really who we want to be? Is that the person we want to be? Because the emotional reaction is coming from our nervous system. It's not coming from our higher self. And how do we get back in touch with that higher self? I think it's in that pause. It's what Viktor Frankl said. It's in that space. In that space, we don't have to be reactive. We can be whatever we want to be, but it's that pausing and choosing that will take us to the place we want to be. 
I don't think we want to be in that space of reactivity. I don't know. Maybe I'm too optimistic uh, <laughs> person, but I, you know, I don't think we want to be the people going out there and screaming at other people and being that reactive person. I don't know, Haley. That's what I think. I, I would fully agree with you that most people don't go starting their day thinking they're going to go yell at someone. Right. <laughs> it's just love that perspective. So where can people find you and how can they work with you? Yeah. So my website is janetioli.com. So you can find me there. I'm very active on LinkedIn, as you said. So you can go look me up on LinkedIn and connect with me and just reach out to me via the website. They can find me on the website. There's a contact page there and please feel free to reach out. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Janet, for being here today. I have learned so much from you and now I'm going to go do my own little self-reflection, especially on some of the questions that I asked. But thank you so much for imparting your wisdom and we will link all of those things in the show notes so people can connect with you and continue to learn from you. Thank you so much, Haley. It's been such a pleasure. You're just a great interviewer and I just loved chatting with you. Thank you so much. If you have valued these stories or learned something from what you've heard, please share this podcast episode or follow me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for your support and together we can build a better community and world.